This is the Hot Stove Report. Going, going, goodbye baseball. On 710 ESPN Seattle, 710sports.com, and the 710 Seattle Sports app. Well, it's that time. Baseball or no baseball, they can't stop us from talking about baseball. Shannon Dreyer here with the Hot Stove Show and little twist uh, we actually sent howdy to uh, the store for some presto logs because stove a little cold right now in his place curtis rogers you may know him from the jake and stacy show you might know him when you guys get tired of me during the year you might hear <laughs> curtis on the pre and the post show if i have to escape somewhere or if it's oakland and i just have to not be there at night <laughs> curtis rogers saves me curtis welcome to the show shannon thank you so much for having me i i mean if howdy comes back within the hour i don't know what i'm gonna be doing but glad to be here with you glad to be on the hot stove and it's it's very cool right now around the world of baseball, but always, always going to make time to talk baseball with you. So. Well, Super excited to be here. We've absolutely embraced the idea of, hey, we're going to do this regardless. We're going to take whatever comes our way as far as uh, what we can talk about, who we can talk to, and whatnot. And we've had some fun along the way kind of discovering some things. We have a, a couple of things coming up today that I'm really looking forward to. Uh, Mike Curto is going to join us. Uh, of course, Mike Curto, longtime broadcaster for the Tacoma Rainiers, fantastic broadcaster at that. There have been so many changes in the minors the last couple Boy. of years. And now they're introducing robots. The robots are taking over. <laughs> Just what we need. Uh, we've got a lot to get to with Mike Curdo. And, you know, it's funny because I think that uh, as they've gone through the rebuild, we've kind of looked at uh, the minor leagues as, you know, let's get down there. That's where these. That's where the prospects are going to be. He has seen a number come through. There are going to be a few more that come through. Uh, we're going to get uh, Mike Curdo's input on what is going on with this Mariners team moving forward. Got a couple of um, fixtures on the show that didn't take long that I absolutely love. Uh, one of my favorites, Gary Hill is going to make us smarter because that's what Gary Hill does. Absolutely. And the topic today, a little bit more of a topic than it is a stat, but uh, the end of an era is coming to baseball, Curtis. We're not going to see pitchers hitting anymore, which we're in American League City. Personally, I'm a DH guy. As <laughs> you know, if if that weren't the case, Edgar Martinez might not be in the Hall of Fame. And uh, but I am looking forward to that conversation with Gary Hill because it has been a part of baseball since the very inception of the game, and now it looks as though the Universal DH is here to stay forever and ever. Uh, I'm super excited to look back on on just some some craziness in terms of pitcher hitting numbers, and I mean. Who could forget the uh, the greatest hit by a Mariners pitcher ever? Well, he doesn't forget it. No. Felix Hernandez, he'll remind you about it at every turn. Gary's going to take a look at pitchers hitting the end of that era, and uh, we're going to take a little bit of a look ahead about what that means. That's going to change some things immediately when it becomes official. It's going to change the hot stove. There's no question about that. Another mainstay now of the show has been getting to learn a little bit more about the people who bring you baseball on 710 ESPN Seattle during the day. We've heard from Mike Salk. We've heard stories from Bob Stelton, who basically grew up in this uh, business with me. We, we broke in at the same time same station i think we set foot on the kingdom turf <laughs> at the same time and it was really fun to kind of go back with him and hear a little bit about that as well today we learn a little bit more about the baseball of uh, the morning show cohorts not Salk, but uh, mora and justin are going to talk about their baseball what they look to bring to the people when uh, they're talking about it at o dark 30 in the morning with Boy. mike Salk. 
Yeah, they wake up at an ungodly hour. They're probably going to bed as we're hitting the air tonight. Probably, probably. And, uh, I would you know, hope we're so. going to have to keep them up for that, <laughs> yeah. but I, I think they'll do oh, okay. No. <laughs> I'm not too worried about them. I think they'll, and Justin, of course, is coming off a heck of a weekend. He, you know, Super Bowl. Yeah, unfor- his Bengals took an L, unfortunately, for him. But, I mean, getting to go to the Super Bowl, that's an experience unlike any other. Uh, I don't know if you've ever had an opportunity to go to one. Uh, I went a couple of years ago, and it was just it was unlike anything I've ever experienced in my life. And I didn't even have a rooting interest in the game. Uh, I can't imagine what it was like for Justin uh, as his Bengals took on the L.A. Rams. I mean, that basket case of nerves <laughs> after that game, I, I could not imagine that kind of rooting experience. Well, apparently it lived up to everything he hoped and expected except for the ending. Uh, but, hey, it was a good weekend, I think, regardless. But before you know, we get into all of that that's coming up, as I mentioned, if you're not familiar with Curtis, you should be. Uh, if it's not for what he does during the day, and, and we've joked with uh, – Jake quite a bit. Um, I, I hope you help in talking Jake off multiple ledges during <laughs> Look, baseball season. <laughs> Jake gets so excited about any Mariners conversation, and he has just such a, a pure, untainted baseball mind where he believes in just the greatness of what baseball can be and that, uh, you know, Look, baseball's a game of failure. It will beat you down throughout the course of a 162-game season. <laughs> and there are times where I have to remind Jake, like, this game could possibly not go the Mariners' way, or this this trade could possibly not go the Mariners' way, or, or something like that. And just kind of gives me a look, like, what do you mean? And Jake is the most excitable Mariners fan I think I know in my life, and I love that about him. I just hate to always kind of be there with the uh with the, with the needle hammer? yeah the hammer or the needle <laughs> to burst his bubble uh I, I love jake and i love uh his excitement for baseball but every now and then you got to kind of reel him in but i i love that about him uh, i love working with stacy too she's kind of right there with me like jake let's bring you back here i know but she pushes the buttons <laughs> That's and true. she admits it absolutely <laughs> we we love to put jake in that place we also love to take him out of it Jake was wearing his Jared Kelnick jersey today, which uh, I guess is a good transition to this. Not only do we do things on 710 every day during the daylight and some of the nighttime hours, but we also have a fantastic, and I, I don't think people go to this website enough, but 710sports.com. Absolutely. Yeah, we've got full-time writers. We've got hosts contributing. So much experience that goes into that. There is great content, great original content on all Seattle sports on 710sports.com, and right now we have got a series uh, that is running, and it is going to, uh, we're going to have a a number of different topics and throw it out to the writers of 710sports.com and to the personalities uh, who want to participate. And this week's topic is breakout candidates for the Mariners. I've got a piece up, uh, Kelnick, as I said, you know, speaking of Kelnick, Jared Kelnick is my choice, which almost seems a little bit odd because that's to me almost kind of signifies a little bit of underdog. And you're seeing Jared Kelnick as underdog, kind of, because yet last year did not go as expected, to say the least. But I think a lot was learned. You can read the piece if you like. Bob Stelton, he wrote a piece and he takes on Logan Gilbert. Brandon Gustafson, he always goes pitching because he, of course, pitched oh, a little bit sure. in, in, in college. He goes Andres Munoz, who we are all excited to see. Let's go ahead and throw it to you, Curtis Rogers, and you do not have to write it up. 
Oh, thank goodness. Oh, man. Hopefully Brent Stecker That's, is not listening right now. That is a weight off my shoulders. I know. Sorry, Brent. I would I would contribute if, if it were required of me. Boy, there were so many guys last year on this team that broke out, especially in the bullpen. You had Casey Sadler, Drew Steckenrider, Paul Seawald, to name a few. Uh, I might... I'm, do I go bullpen again with guys like Diego Castillo, who has had a, a track record of success in the big leagues? Uh-huh. Maybe Ken Giles, a, a bounce back season for him after missing all of last year. But I think I might go offense. And I am going to say, I am going to say Adam Frazier is the guy that breaks out this season, even though he was an all star a year ago and, and put together the best season he he's gonna had. hit forty home runs. Yeah, he's gonna hit forty <laughs> home runs. He's gonna hit slug six hundred. Uh you you won't see it coming. But no, I think Adam Frazier is a guy that he's been brought here without really a position to call home, but I think he is going to find himself I think playing more at second base this season than anywhere else on the field. Uh, I think outfield right now is going to be a very crowded spot, especially once Julio Rodriguez makes it to the big league level. You're going to have him. You're going to have Mitch Haniger. You're going to have Jared Kelnick. You could potentially have Kyle Lewis available as well. We don't quite know what his outlook is going to be for this 2022 season. So I think Adam Frazier being able to be the second baseman going forward for this team, not having to focus on multiple gloves, I think will allow him to kind of settle in. And look, his style or his approach at the plate is an approach that works in any ballpark, and especially at T-Mobile Park, where you have a very expansive outfield. You're going to have opportunity to drop balls in wherever it is in the outfield. He's not a guy that's going to, you know, as we pointed out, he's not going to hit you 10 home runs. He's not even going to hit you maybe eight home runs, but he's going to get on base. He is going to go gap to gap. I think he is going to be uh, a catalyst at the top of the lineup this year. Uh, You know, if J.P. Crawford can be what he was last year at the leadoff spot, you have Adam Frazier hitting second. I mean, boy, that is going to be an incredible table setter for this Mariners lineup heading into uh, the meat of the order. And look, there could be other bats along the way too. Obviously, there are some big names being tied to the Mariners in free agency, so we'll have to wait and see on that. But Adam Frazier, I think, is my guy heading into the 2022 season. That is such a Mariner pick. Yeah? It's never the obvious thing anymore with the Mariners, no. especially under Jerry DePoto. You're not going the big, you know, the <laughs> ultimate prospect in, in Jared Kelnick or Logan Gilbert, who, you know, you're going with kind of the C-the-Z guy, kind yeah. of the guy that is going to get on base and score the runs and manufacture the runs along those lines. Interesting pick. I like it. Thank you. All right, hopefully we get to hot stove it a little bit more as the show goes on. I want to hear a little bit more about what you think about those names. I'm like, oh, so he's not seeing Trevor Story at second base. Hmm, say a Suzuki in the outfield. You named a lot of outfielders, didn't name him well, or look, some others. There's always room for those guys. <laughs> we should get into that as the show goes on. But coming up next, we got to take a step back. we got to relax a little bit and let Gary Hill make us all smarter because that's what Gary Hill does. Hey, sit in the bleachers on Friday, then snag tickets behind first base on Sunday. It's all possible with a Mariners Flex membership. The best part, save 10% or more on tickets and get priority access to the 2023 All-Star Week and the postseason. Start making those summer plans at Mariners.com slash Flex. The Hot Stove Show on 710 ESPN Seattle. 
2022 season is jam-packed with great times at T-Mobile Park. Don't miss out on matchups against the Yankees, Red Sox, and Braves, plus seven fireworks nights and feature a Hall of Fame weekend in August. Secure your seats now at Mariners.com. Shannon Dreyer, Curtis Rogers with the Hot Stove Show here. And if you haven't heard, Universal DH sounds like it is all but a done deal. DH is for all. Gary Hill takes a look at the end of an era of pitchers getting to hit. Well, as conversation regarding Universal DH continues, why don't we take a look at pitchers hitting tonight? We know this. Pitchers have never been great hitters throughout Major League Baseball. You look at the history of pitchers hitting, and at least since World War II, they have never as a collective cracked a 200 batting average. The highest was in 1951 when they batted a collective 185. They have never gone over a 235 on base percentage. Again in 1951, a high watermark of 232. And in terms of slugging percentage, they've never reached 240, a high again in 1951 of 236. In fact, since World War II, no doubt 1951 was the highlight of pitchers hitting in Major League Baseball with highs in all three of those categories. The pitchers hitting heyday led by pitchers such as Ewell Blackwell, of course, known for more what he did on the mound, an all-star. The tall, lanky righty stood at 6'6", nicknamed the Whip, with some pretty interesting descriptions of what he looked like on the mound. Sports writer Red Smith once said that Blackwell was built like a slouchy fly rod, built composed largely of arms, neck, and ears. Well, another writer, Joe Williams, thought his delivery looked like a Picasso impression of an octopus in labor. <laughs> but he had a fine year on the mound for the Cincinnati Reds, and he already just a touch under three and a half, an all-star team, top 20 in MVP voting. But at the plate, especially for a pitcher, he was excellent. A batting average just under 300, and on base of 333, a slugging of 390, Pretty good in pitcher's terms. Three doubles along the way. A home run, a triple as well. And 1951 featured a number of pitchers with similar type numbers. Now, of course, 1951 was a while ago, and pitching numbers have continued to erode since then. You look at last season. Pitchers as a collective batted 110, the lowest ever for that group. And on base percentage of 150, the only worst was 2018, which is 144. A slugging percentage of 142, which is the worst ever. In fact, go back to batting average for a moment. Again, last season, pitchers batted 110. I will list to you by year the lowest batting average for pitchers in baseball history. 2021, 2018, 2014, 2017, 2019, 2012, 2006, the outlier, 2016, 2015, 2013, and so on. I think you get the drift at this point. As pitching has become better and better and better, and pitchers tend not to hit, Anywhere in college or in the minor leagues, the numbers have continued just erode over time to the point where pitchers just aren't very competitive at the plate. 
The most shocking number of all is strikeout percentage. Not surprisingly, given the numbers that I just gave you, pitchers last season had the highest strikeout percentage as hitters in their history. Last season, pitchers struck out 45% of the time, just a touch under 45. We're talking nearly every other time at the plate, pitchers are striking out. They just cracked the 40% marker in 2018 at 42%. In 2019, it climbed to 43.5%. Of course, pitchers didn't hit in 2020. And then last season, 44.8% of the time. That is an amazing strikeout rate. And amazing, not in a good way. So while it's super fun to reminisce about some of the great pitcher hitting years in baseball history, whether you're talking about Ewell Blackwell or Don Newcomb in 1955, who slashed 354, 386, 367, hitting seven home runs in that season. The cost now is just too high when you look at pitcher's production or the lack thereof. Now, a couple interesting questions if the rule change is inactive. Well, this isn't really a question. This is going to be fact. Last year, we saw the fewest sacrifice bunts in baseball history. Uh, 766, by far the lowest. That record is going to be shattered if pitchers aren't hitting next year. And how much of an impact will it make on scoring runs and strikeout rates? We may soon find out. So, Curtis, I mean, for me... Fun is gone. I, I love just the absurdity of, of pitchers hitting and just the thought that something could happen. I was there in New York when Felix hit that grand slam, and believe it or not, I called it. Because why wouldn't you? Bases juiced in the Big Apple. Why not call it? Well, against also one of the best pitchers of that era, too, Johan Santana, who was still, I think, at the peak of his powers back then. It was so absurd. There's no way this could possibly happen. But like you said, why are you hoping against hope? That's absurd because those kinds of moments were only existing when pitchers were at bat. I think there was a great moment last year, uh, another pitcher hitting a grand slam, the reliever Daniel Camarena of the San Diego Padres. Which I think was the first who did it since Felix I think did. so. And, I mean, he's a relief pitcher too. So it's not like he's <laughs> getting regular at-bats as a starting pitcher. Unfortunately, another pitcher hitting moment it went against the Mariners was uh in Chicago at Wrigley Field during the 2016 season John Lester with the walk-off Extra squeeze innings, I think in yeah. the rain if I believe Sunday night I baseball remember. Sunday night yeah yeah it was it was brutal but I, those are the moments that you get when when pitchers are hitting and I think what made those so special is how infrequent they were but also in that infrequency, you get so many at-bats that are just uncompetitive. And I think baseball right now needs as many balls in play as possible because we have seen the strikeouts just dramatically increase over the last 10 to 20 years. Um, but now when you have DHs in place of pitchers, hopefully offense will tick up, but you do – lose out on those unique moments. Bartolo Colon hitting the home run. Oh. That's that's one of the moments that I think a lot of casual baseball fans point to and say, like, oh, my gosh, where were you when that happened? Because that might be the most improbable home run in baseball history. Because Bartolo Colon, not exactly the most physically imposing player, 
especially sneaky with athlete. a yes, sneaky athlete, especially there. with a bat in his hand. Those kinds of moments you're not going to get hardly ever again. I mean, I think there are going to be some pitchers that still find themselves available as pinch hitters. Uh, Zach yeah. Granke, he's a good hitter. You know, Joey Otani can swing the bat a little I, bit. So I've heard. So I've heard. I think he's a pitcher that might do well swinging the bat. Is he so, a hitter that pitches? Boy, what came first, the chicken or the <laughs> egg? We we may never know the the correct answer, but I think you're still going to see some pitchers hit in those instances. But it's not ever going to be as part of the the everyday starting lineup. It isn't uh, unless you get another unicorn like Shohei Otani. Although, I mean, kids growing up now might look at that and say, that's what I want to do. You never know. This game evolves quickly now, and maybe you see more of that. But of more immediate is is what this will do when baseball opens up again, and all of a sudden you've got half of baseball looking for a DH. And will we see Nelson Cruz again at T-Mobile Park? You know, now you might think he's probably going to end up in the National League, or at least more competition for him. Uh, What's that going to do with pitchers? National League pitchers, starters in particular, uh, had at least one strikeout probably per game, thank you, (laughs) courtesy of of, uh, the pitcher, the strategy that plays into it. So it's going to change the game in that regard. Oh, absolutely it will. And the World Series is going to be significantly different than what it's been uh, up until now because when games were in National League ballparks, you had to watch these American League teams play the game in a way that they're so unaccustomed to outside of interleague play. By the way, I believe the last ever pitcher to either get a hit or to get an at-bat was Kendall Graveman. So that's a that's a little bit Great of trivia, pull right yeah. there, Curtis. Way so, to go! <laughs> I mean, I mean, a name that Mariners fans obviously familiar with. Uh, you and can, a Mariner will never have swung. A Mariner pitcher will never have swung a bat or swung a bat in the postseason. Correct. Unless like, you know, maybe they hold off a year on that, but I don't think they will. No. The one one more hot stove question for you. We've just got a minute here. Does that impact the Mariners at all in a pitcher that or a player that they could trade? Luis Torrens has just got. What do you do with Luis Torrens? Yeah, I think that's a, a great point because look, his glove is not anywhere close to what his bat was last season, and his bat can play in any lineup, and especially after he came back from Tacoma last year, he was one of the best bats in the Mariners lineup the remainder of the season. If you have 15 more opportunities in this league to add a DH to a team's roster, I think that does open up a lot of possibilities. A DH for that can catch. He is not as bad as he was behind the plate last year. Well, and, and having that and ability that to catch, and yeah. you could put him at first base, or you for sure. could put him even at third. He sees himself as an infielder. He, there are different places you could play. There him. was a there game, might be a value there. There was a game last year where the lineup card, I believe, was that had Terenz listed as third base, but then they changed it. I don't know if there was some cold feet there or whatnot on Terenz's part or on the Mariners' part, which I would I was begging to see Terenz Well, and he base. was begging to be there. It was funny because <laughs> catchers are usually catchers through and through. No, he was a shortstop coming up as a kid, and that's what he saw himself as an infielder quite a bit. And he was very excited to get over at third base with Kyle Seeger you know, every day during warm-ups. So you know, just, just <laughs> something to keep an eye on, perhaps – uh, that makes him a little bit more attractive because he's an intriguing player. I'm not sure where he f- fits for the Mariners on the field in, in 2022. Yeah, it's going to be very interesting to see uh, if he has a place on this Mariners roster, especially with so many more DHs. You know who we can ask a little bit about him? Ooh. Our next guest coming up. 
Mike Curto is going to join us. And Luis Torrens did something at AAA last year because he came <laughs> back a different player. Mike Curto coming up next as the Hot Stove League show continues on 710 ESPN Seattle. The Hot Stove Show on 710 ESPN. Right now we welcome into the Hot Stove Show Mike Curto from the Tacoma Rainiers. And, Mike, I'm going to go ahead. We just left the last. We had kind of a conversation going in the last uh, segment about we've probably seen the end of uh, pitchers hitting in, in baseball with the universal DH coming. And that led to a little bit of a hot stove conversation about Luis Torrens, which could be an intriguing player for the Mariners uh, to move. He might be hard to hold on to next year in that it's there's not an obvious position. And he becomes intriguing because uh, he was sent down to Tacoma for a little while last year and came back and, whoa, different player at the plate. So odd place to start, but we teased it. I don't want to lose it. What did you see from, from Luis Torrens and what the Rainiers did with him last year? Well, the the one thing that was really noticeable during his time with Tacoma was that he used the whole field. He hit a, he actually hit a lot of balls to the opposite field and had a good good strength driving the ball that direction. He had opposite field home runs, and you know that was the first time I'd ever seen him. He was he didn't uh, play for Tacoma on his way up to the majors. You recall he was a Rule Five pick, so uh, I, I'm, I was unfamiliar with his game prior to uh, seeing him join the Rainiers for a spell last year. But uh, it really jumped out with the fact that he was going to the opposite field with the ball. Uh, repeatedly and that he had power. He could drive it out of the ballpark to right field. And so I think that's kind of the thing that, that really stuck out. And I don't know if that was new for him, a change he made, but that, that's what he did, and he brought that to the big leagues with him afterwards. Mike Curtis Rogers here, and a name that I think a lot of Mariners fans became familiar with last year uh, as he started the year off uh, on the opening day roster, that'd be Taylor Trammell, who at you know had varying stints with the Rainiers as well as the Mariners. Uh, had one of his better years hitting in the minor leagues with Tacoma last year. Uh, what did you see from him at the plate? Because I think that is a, a spot where uh, if he is going to make it to the big leagues and stick in the big leagues, the bat has to come around. But had an 818 OPS. What did you see from him at AAA last year that uh, could maybe be a springboard for future success for him? Uh, he was really streaky during his time with Tacoma. And I mean, there were, there were stretches where for a week he couldn't make it out. And then there were stretches for a week where he had had difficulty putting the ball in play. Um, so I, I know they're looking for more consistency from him, of course, uh, to try to uh, return to the big leagues. They want him to put the ball in play more frequently because he has power and he can run. He can do a lot of things to help. Uh, he's not, real experienced at the higher levels in terms of uh, having at bats above the double a level. You know, he made the Mariners opening day roster last year, having never played in a triple a game. And you know, that, that jumps tough and he showed it. It's a difficult jump to make. And then when he came back down to triple a and he had a chance to maybe relax a bit, I think uh, things really kind of picked up for him, but he's definitely an intriguing player to watch for this year. Um, he could be going back and forth again, or maybe he'll make the team in spring training. Who knows? But uh, he, he's definitely uh, and just more and more at bats just help him because that's what he needs. And you know, sitting out 2020 didn't help him, and 
uh, jumping straight to the big leagues was not easy. And, you know, he just needs at bats for consistency. You just mentioned that jump is not easy. It's never been easy, but it seems like there's been more and more of a divide with the pitching over the last couple of years in particular. What have you seen in that evolution? The the one thing that I've really noticed is actually not pitching related. It's more on the hitting side. Players aren't being left in AAA for long stretches anymore. There's like a, a real push to try to get young players to the big leagues as quickly as possible. If you just go back 10 or 15 years, you know, we had Adam Jones for two full seasons in AAA. Shinsu Chu, two full seasons in AAA. Now uh, a prospect comes up and, you know, if they're hot for three weeks, they get called up to the big leagues, which worked for Kyle Seeger, by the way. But uh, on the pitching side, I think that uh, it's more in, in AAA we're seeing, at least for the Mariners in recent years, it's been just a stable of pitchers who are ready to help in the big league bullpen at uh, the drop of a hat. So we have a lot of kind of older players, players who are able to jump up and help out in the bullpen right away. And a lot of times the last couple of years, our staff's been made up heavily of relief pitchers and uh, bullpen days have been, you know, very common here the last couple of years. That's kind of the way things have changed. Mike, uh, Cal Raleigh last year came up to the big leagues, uh, around the all-star break but before he came up to the Mariners uh organization or at least the uh, major league organization he pulled off one of the greatest feats of strength uh known to man and that is hitting a home run over the center field wall at Cheney Stadium you were there for that night uh what was that like just seeing a human being produce that much power well, he didn't hit it over the center field wall. It was close. It was a little to the right, but uh, it was still very impressive. We've only had two balls actually hit over that wall since it was built in 1960. It's hard to do. The uh, the fence is 32 feet tall. Uh, Raleigh hit it just a massive drive that I thought was going to go over it, and it had veered off to the right of it. An interesting story on this is actually kind of I think this is funny. You know, the the the, fe- the fence is ridiculous, right? It's 32 feet tall and it's 425 feet from center field, and it serves as the batter's uh, eye here at Cheney Stadium. And you know, Major League Baseball took over the minor leagues last year, and they're looking at all the ballparks, and um, they've got you know very specific dimensions now that are required. And it turns out that the batter's eye from where ours is positioned, which is the wall, 425 feet from home plate, it actually needs to be a little bit taller to meet the new uh, <laughs> specifications. So they're going to make it higher. <laughs> they're actually going to make it a little bit higher this off season before opening day. That you know, I mean, that's kind of the fun of it, though. I mean, it's you never know what's going to happen in baseball. Uh, if you kind of think back, what are some of the more ridiculous things that or feats that you have seen in that park? Uh, at Cheney, the the two balls hit over the fence. Uh, stand out. Uh, AJ Zapp hit the first one. He had 30 home runs for us in uh, 2004, I think it was. And then uh, Shinsu Chu did it on a very windy day. You remember the mere misses? Chris Bryant came in with the Iowa Cubs when he was one of the top prospects in the minors and hit one halfway up that wall in center field. And it was like, oh, this guy's legit, <laughs> you know. Um, it also, because it's so deep, 425 feet to center field, it does give inside the park home runs a little bit of a better chance ah. to occur. So we get a we get a few more of those than you might in a normal ballpark because that fence is so deep. So if a fast guy can drive one over the head of the center fielder, he's got a chance to circle the bases. Is that the most exciting play for you to call? Oh, for sure. <laughs> you can't beat it.
Speaking of unique things at the ballpark, the AAA level is going to see robot umpires for the first time. Uh, what are yeah. you expecting to see from that, and, and do you think it's going to be a, a uh, drastic change to the game or, or a noticeable one? How are you expecting it to play this year? I'm very curious to see how this works out. Uh, I think it will be a drastic change. Um, you're going to have there, – there will still be an umpire behind home plate, but there's going to be a guy sitting in a private room uh, in the press box area with a computer who's a league employee – who's going to have the readout of, uh, you know, the, the, whether the ball was in a ball or a strike, and they're going to relay the information to the plate umpire who's going to make the call. So there's going to be a delay, right, I would think. You can't be instantaneous, can it? I'm thinking there'll be like a slight delay on uh, the calls of balls and strikes, and the zone will be different from what, you know, so much of baseball is kind of uh, the pitcher and the catcher playing to the, the umpire strike zone, and that's gone now it's going to be you know digitally determined what the strike zone is and if the ball was in it or not and i think that pitchers will learn how to maybe manipulate that i don't know we'll, we'll it'll be i'm very curious to see how it works out and i'm really surprised they're doing it in triple a when uh you know you've got players going up and down and so your pitcher in triple a is used to the automatic system and then they go to the big leagues and your hitters too you know uh it it, it changes overnight when they get called up so I'm kind of surprised they're doing it at this level, but uh, we're going to live with it this year and see what happens. And who knows? Maybe it'll work. Maybe it's the answer for the future. I, I wish there was time to do a spelling test and a pronunciation test, but you've got a new <laughs> staff in AAA and some of the more challenging names I think that I have ever seen. We don't have time for that, but I mean, we we know he was at the big league level for a while, but Christopher Negron, uh, he, he's made the jump to the big league staff this year. Yeah, I think he's going to be a good fit. Uh, first base coach, I understand. Um, he he managed uh, one year for us, and then in 2020, when there was, were no minor leagues, he was uh, Andy McKay's assistant as assistant farm director, and he ended up in day-to-day operation of the alternate training site, which was held at our stadium in Tacoma during the COVID. So he's been on the, the coaching side for two years now. He was a really good triple a manager i mean aside from the fact that the rainiers won the league championship he did a lot of things right that i could see a uh, very good communicator with his players had the respect of all his players probably because he'd been playing so recently i mean his last year on the field was 2019 so you know he had actually former teammates on his own club and on other teams around the league that we would play so uh, the guys were comfortable with good positive uh, but uh, also kind of mellow attitude every day very california attitude and uh, in the end was a really good fit and uh, he fits what the mariners are looking for in terms of their coaching philosophies and uh, i think that uh, he's going to do a good job up there mike mariners have the number one farm system in baseball according to baseball america you get to see a lot of these top prospects with your very own eyes each and every night in Tacoma. Of the guys you haven't seen yet, which ones are, or which one are you most uh, eagerly anticipating watching come through Tacoma? Easy answer. Got to see Julio Rodriguez, who I've <laughs> not I've seen him. I've only seen him taken at bat in spring training once. So very excited to have him in Tacoma. Don't know if he's going to start the year. Well, First off, he's on the 40-man roster, so he is involved in the lockout situation right now. But uh, I don't know if once that's resolved, if they'll uh, have him come to AAA or AA to begin the year because uh, he heard plate appearances at AA Arkansas last year, 
And normally you leave a player at that level for longer, but he hit 362 with like a 1000 OPS. <laughs> so I don't know, maybe he'll, maybe he'll open in AAA and ready for the major leagues at some point this summer. I, that's a possible result. And I'm just looking forward to seeing him play. Apparently, in addition to being a great player, he's also uh, very personable. So I think it'd be fun to have him around and I'm hoping he suits up for the Rainiers this year. I'm just going to say one thing. No takebacks. It's like once he comes up to Seattle, that's going to be it. So enjoy it while you can, Mike. <laughs> well, uh, they always come back, Shannon. They always do. <laughs> <laughs> Sage words there from Mike Curdo. <laughs> Mike, hey, I am just thrilled that you get a full season. There are no bumps in your road. You know, Hopefully we see you down in Arizona and both the big league team and the minor leagues are, are, are firing up at the same time. But regardless... We will check in with you periodically throughout the year. Mike, thank Yeah, anytime, Shannon. Uh, Rainier's opening day at Cheney Stadium is April 5th. It is happening. It's not uh, involved in the lockout situation. So we're playing. We'd love to see folks out at the park. Always great to catch up with Mike Curdo. Hey, make T-Mobile Park your office. The Mariners are currently hiring a variety of full-time and part-time roles. Join our team by checking out the full list of opportunities at mariners.com slash jobs. The Hot Stove Show on 710 ESPN Seattle. The ultimate way to experience Mariners baseball is by booking a 2022 sweet night. Enjoy private seating, VIP parking, fantastic ballpark fair, and much more. To secure your suite and enjoy the summer's top ball games in style, visit mariners.com slash suites. Welcome back to the Hot Stove Show, and we are getting into my favorite segment of the show. It is an opportunity to get to know those that talk baseball throughout the day on 710 Sports a little bit better. And today, this one's going to be fun. This is from The Morning Show. They are the duo I like to call not sulk. Today, uh, we have got Maura Dooley and Justin Barnes. Bless both of you. It's a great name. It's a very accurate description. It is. Not Salk. You know, this is great because it's more, I know a little bit about your baseball. Justin, you know, you came on board. I was gone in baseball, obviously odd times. I know next to nothing about you other than you're wearing a Bengals hat and you had a rough, a great but bad ending weekend. Yes. Because it was a very fun Super Bowl weekend that had a very tragic ending. But I survived and I had a blast and I'm, I would do it over again a thousand times. I can't believe you're staying. I can't believe you're here today. I mean, I would need a week off after that whirlwind yeah. trip for you. And it, it's a consideration. Someday I will have to cover a playoff. Yeah, I know. That's what I'm saying. You this need is, extra for that. As a lifelong Mariners and Bengals fan, this was the first time I'd seen either of them in the playoffs in person. Okay, well, let's get to that because a yeah, lifelong Mariners fan, I wasn't sure I had a good idea, but you grew up in Montana. That's within the reach, the embrace. Tell us a little bit about baseball growing up in Montana. Uh, there's, I mean, the Little League scene was surprisingly big for, for as small as our town was. And put out a lot of good talent. We had a lot of really good athletes in the years that I went to school there. And my dad was a coach. Uh, my best friend's dad was a coach. Everybody really fostered that because I think they realized that outside of sports, there's not a whole lot of opportunity to get out of the town. Mm-hmm. Unless you want to go in the military. So I actually uh, got a baseball scholarship to leave. That's how I ended up in Seattle. So baseball meant everything to me. Mariners baseball was church for us. I mean, we watched every night on Fox Sports Northwest, and it was it was our hometown. And we didn't have that for football, which is why I ended up as a Bengals fan. We didn't really have the same exact you know um, coverage. And being a Mariners fan was everything for me. And I mean, I mem- I memorized everybody's batting stance and every batting order and I had every poster and our summer vacations were coming to the kingdom to watch baseball so it was the biggest thing in my life I can safely say as a child like baseball meant 
everything to me. And the Mariners were the representation of that. What was your best memory in the kingdom? Uh, I remember what it was Griffey's first game back after breaking his wrist and hit a, he hit a home run that game. And I remember being very little and thinking that was the most important moment of my life up until that point. <laughs> and I remember getting, I remember getting, I had a sign. I don't remember what section we were in, but it was somewhere down the first baseline. And we had a sign and we were on the front row of one of the, the aisles, the concourse. So our sign covered the railing ahead of us. Mm-hmm. And Chuck, Chuck Knobloch hit a, a foul ball that bounced off the concourse into the sign. Wow. And protected me. I was like, I don't know, seven years old. But I remember at the time thinking, I play baseball. I could catch something if it came up in the air and just collapsing in fear the second I saw <laughs> What did the sign say? Uh, I think it probably said something like rooting from Montana or trophy from Montana because we wanted so badly to be on a big screen as a kid, of course. And uh, then, yeah, just wandering around the stadium trying to get home run balls over the center field wall. Mm. Everybody had those rubber band baseball glove things that they lower down over the top of baseballs and they fell back down there. And I just thought that someday I was going to get one. And probably the peak of it was a batting practice home run from Marquise Grissom. That was was my first baseball, I think, that I got from the kingdom. Very nice. (laughs) Laura, one of my favorite memories of you is uh, running into you a few years ago. And and I went down on the field late one one season, and there you are standing by. you're, You're on the field standing right next to the gate. And your eyes are just big. And, she caught and, me fanning out. No, yeah. Yeah, yeah, just and it's just like okay, know? this is cool. She's she's really taking this in. She's taking it in for the wrong team, apparently. But uh, <laughs> there's a good reason for that. It was the Red Sox that were in town. Yes, yes, I know that's not the most popular here. But um, so my dad is from Boston. We lived there for a brief time when I was a kid. But um, my dad was military, so kind of moved around all over. But it's it uh, he definitely raised us as Boston sports fans. In fact, I think I may or may not have um, stood up and yelled some curse words that I heard my dad yelling at the Red Sox in the middle of church when I was a child. Oh, oh dear. Yes. Yeah. My, my poor mom was the one that had to be at church with me. I think my dad was at home watching sports and she had to slink out of there. So yeah, my, my dad instilled a aggressive Red Sox fandom in me uh, from a young age. <laughs> and, um, I, you know, and I just always love my dad played softball um, with, an, you know, an Air Force team and uh, he was pretty good. So I just kind of always loved going to games. And even though um, I didn't really get to live in my hometown that often, I have been to some games at Fenway and, um, you know, obviously it was a little bit of a heartbreaking uh, team to be a fan of for quite for some time. time. Yes. So Prepared um, you well. <laughs> yes. True. The 2004, uh, win was just you know obviously the the finale against St. Louis wasn't really that exciting but that mm-hmm. that series against the Yankees is probably my favorite sports memory of my life it was so epic Justin how much of a opportunity have you had to like be down on a big league field and, and, and kind of cover a little bit or, or, or be a part of that I haven't got to do a lot of the coverage so I, I worked for a, a music radio station before working here at 710 and Shannon, I listened to you the entire time I lived in Seattle. So this is really great, by the way, to thank you for having me. Um, Shucks. But I, I, I was lucky because we had just a couple uh, contacts with the marketing team and we ended up being um, a partner on Saturday. So we'd be broadcasting live from the pen. Oh, nice. And for the two hours for pregame. So I was watching everybody on the field, people like Mora or like or like you, I would see you every day. And I'd be walking around with a wireless on Saturday and I would try to go down behind home plate and like kind of take in BP. And that was the closest I had really been outside of just some meetings in the stadium of being on the field until getting here. And then we got to have that media day. And it was an incredibly full circle moment 
for me as a kid who, like, if you would have gone back and told me at nine years old while I'm watching, you know, the 95 series that someday you're going to be standing down in the field and actually try to kind of be a part of the media and getting to share in how much I loved them and how much it meant to me in an authentic way, mm-hmm. I never would have believed you. I've been through all the bad seasons. You know, I probably go to 25 games a year and I was just looking for small things to root for. Like I was saying on the air the other day, I used to cheer for, I don't know, like complete games and uh, another player getting their 3000th hit, like things that like I could just be excited about because I loved the game so much, but the team, you know, and the performance just wasn't, wasn't there. We didn't have, we weren't going into the playoffs and we were losing a hundred games, but it didn't change any how much I love that team and how much I wanted to be a part of it. So now coming here, uh, I get to actually have a little bit closer of that, my finger on the pulse and, and get to talk to some of the bigger movers and shakers like yourself. And it is, and it, seriously, I know you're, you roll your eyes, but really <laughs> it is an incredible thing for a fan to get to have that experience. And I just, I feel like I'm just lucky to be in the room most of the time. Laura, what do you like to watch in the game today? Um, well, I mean, one of the things for the Mariners, I, I love watching all this youth that they have right now. It was so cool to see just some of the first last year. I loved watching Logan Gilbert's first game. Um, love seeing, you know, even Kelnick have struggles and have to go back down, but then fight through it. And, you know, I, I was reading your article yesterday on how he started to look more clutch at the end of the year and you could see how calm he was out there. I think I'm really enjoying like seeing that development. Before I get to what you're looking for, since you did play, mm-hmm. you just brought up Jinx, and so that makes me think, are, are you a superstitious person? Oh, incredibly okay, superstitious. Okay, let's go. Let's go. What oh, do you do? So when I was playing, I used to actually, ironically, Felix and I have the same birthday. Uh, he's a year older than me. April 8th. 5th, 8th. 8th. Okay. And I used to, and this happened before I, you know, he was in the league, so before I got the chance to see him play. So probably from junior high on, running onto the field, I would jump over and land with my opposite leg forward the same way he did. And I saw that later and I was like, oh my goodness, we do the same thing. Like (laughs) we are, we are, you know, Sharon, but this means something. And, um, I would bring three sunflower seeds out in the field. I'd spit one out with every out. I had the same, I had the same. Wait, 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 where'd you keep them? Oh, I put them in my mouth. Oh, okay. Okay. So it's long innings. What happens if you accidentally spit two out? Oh, I felt awful. Okay. Usually I went to one of my fellow infielders like, hey, I need one more seat really quick if you don't mind. Um, I also had a, one of my nicknames was Twitches because I had this thing where I'd go up to the plate and it started in uh, junior high baseball and I'll try to make the story quick. There was a kid that uh, hit before me in the lineup who just swung out of his shoes constantly and he popped up a lot because he just had an uppercut swing and it wasn't working out for him and we called him Eek the Cat and Eek the Cat popped up one time. He ran down to the end the dugout and was pouting you know and this is the third base side and I kind of looked over my right shoulder where I could see him and I did it just quick enough to like make eye contact and like he cheered right up next pitch I actually hit a home run so I started like well looks like I'm gonna be looking over my right shoulder the rest of my life and it turned into a little head twitch and then by the time my junior senior year I was twitches and that was my nickname for a really long time with all my friends so a lot of rituals but yeah superstitious for sure oh my gosh so, Mar, have you noticed anything strange in the morning from him yet? He does, like, he restricts himself as to, like, he has to get through a certain amount of segments before. He's like, now I can go get coffee. I've been waiting. And yep. I'm like, for what? Yeah, I know. It doesn't have any real logic or reason behind any of that. <laughs> just superstition. Yeah, some baseball players are. You don't get rid of it. Don't mess with it. Uh, lastly, just both of you, I, you know, you're part of a fantastic morning show. Mike Salk, you know, loves baseball. Loves baseball with a capital L. What do you hope to bring as a show? to the fans and to the listeners with your baseball coverage this year? 
Uh, I think mine. I I come from everything from such a fan perspective because I haven't I haven't been you know working in sports media. I've worked in media, but I don't come at it from such an analytical standpoint. I know I played, and that maybe has a little bit to do with uh, way the way I see it and the way I talk about the game. But just a pure lifelong fan since a kid who just loves the team so much, and I think I'm such an eternal optimist that. Uh, they've called me uh, toxic positivity at certain points because that's just the way I think I, I try to view a lot of it. But the the way I think I bring or what I bring to our show at least is is that center field beer garden fan perspective because that's that's who I am and that's where I've been most of my life and or the, or way up high at a nosebleed, but usually I'll end up in the beer garden with those games. <laughs> somehow, <laughs> yeah, somehow that's my people. So yeah, I think that just that just um. An old school fan perspective that is just, again, really happy to be there and so thrilled that I get to be a part of something like this. Maura? Um, I think the inside track. Like, I, I think we're really lucky that the Mariners are amazing partners to us. And, you know, they Jerry DePoto is willing to come on and talk to us every week. The, the players, I think this young group especially, you know, you've worked in baseball a long time. I think they tend to be a bit quieter. Since Justin was a child. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> they, I think they tend to be a bit quieter than like the NFL personalities that we interview. But uh-huh. this this like young group seems to have a lot of personality and they don't mind talking. Uh, Paul Seawald has just been uh, fantastic to talk to. And I know he's not even one of the younger guys, but they just have a lot of personality. J.P. Crawford was really quiet at first and he's kind yeah. of become really vocal. I think we just want to bring you guys as much like inside information as we can. And then, of course, we've got Shannon. You're with the team all the time and you're on our airwaves almost every day so yeah I think it's just a place where you can get more inside information on the Mariners than anywhere else and I and we hope to be that I'm glad you brought up the Depoto show because if you're missing that what 8 30 Thursdays when we have baseball mm-hmm. yes so much to be learned you guys get the goods yeah, he's on Thursday mornings at 8 30 that is not miss radio guys I really appreciate you joining us tonight thank, thank you, you. Shannon. Thank, thank you for having us Man, I can't wait for there to be more baseball for that morning show and everybody else at 710 to talk about. I can tell you right now, the squad is fired up. That, however, is going to do it for us tonight. I want to thank Mike Curto for joining us, Curtis Rogers for filling Howdy's gigantic shoes, and, of course, Justin Amora from the Mike Salk Show. We'll do this again next week. Until then, I'm Shannon Dreyer. Take care.